Case number 23-1650 from the District of Eastern Missouri, Matthew Cardia et al. versus Bradley Beeman et al. Mr. Laramore. Good morning. Good morning. Honors, may it please the court. Um, my name is Anthony Laramore. I represent the appellant, Matthew Cartier, um, and Autumn Adams. Mr. Cartier is here with us today. Ms. Adams was not able to be. Um, Your Honors, this, this court said in Tatum um, that there is no justification for choking a restrained, non-fighting, non-resisting subject. This court concluded that a suspect's Fourth Amendment rights to be free from excessive force are violated if officers choke, kick, or punch them when they are restrained, not fighting, and not resisting. Judge, and I know that Kelsey is an important case when we're talking about um, the arrest of a subject. This, this case, the facts of this case are drastically more egregious than the facts of Kelsey, where the officer, and I, I know your honors are familiar with that case, um, where an officer uh, used a bear hug takedown maneuver when the, the subject was, uh, didn't follow his command to get back here. In this case, what the facts show, and some of these facts are disputed, but this was a summary judgment uh, that was entered. Um, the facts show that Officer Beeman, one of the defendants, slammed Matthew Cardi onto his face using a hip toss maneuver while he was handcuffed and being compliant. The facts show that Officer Beeman punched and slapped Matthew Cardi in the face several times while Cartier was lying face down on the ground with his hands cuffed behind his back and while he was being compliant. These actions were all taken by Officer Beeman while, Mr. while he was asking Mr. Cartier, quote-unquote, who's the bitch now? Officer Beeman held Cartier on the ground by placing his knee across the back of Mr. Cartier's neck, a maneuver which he admitted in a deposition he knew could be deadly, and held that position even when Mr. Cartier pleaded that he could not breathe. Officer Gugliano, another defendant in the case, applied pressure to the back and legs of Cartier at the same time Officer Beeman was kneeling on Cartier's neck when Cartier was not resisting and was with his hands cuffed behind his back. Officer Gugliano then took Mr. Cartier off the ground, took him to the patrol car, and slammed his head into the frame of the patrol car at least twice while Mr. Cartier's hands were handcuffed behind his back and while he was being compliant. Moving back on, the, um, on Gugliano when um, he was, I guess, using his knee or whatever to hold down um, Mr. Cartier, um, what is the theory that that by itself is excessive force? Because that would just be a restraint. He's, it's not affecting his breathing. Or is it more like he stood by while Officer Beeman took greater action? Well, I, I, think, um, I think, Judge, that when Mr. Cardi was down on the ground with his hand cuffed behind his back and while he was being compliant, I think the law says that no force is necessary. There's no reason for two officers... I mean, you, you can see Mr. Cardi is here in the back row with us. Both of these officers, one of them is around 300 pounds. The other one was like 375 pounds, substantially larger than Mr. Cartier. There was simply no reason for them to be kneeling on his body while, and one of them kneeling across the back of his neck. But then again... It, no, it, I agree on the back of the neck. That's, that's a different issue. I'm more, more worried about the, the, the ones that were non... Yeah. You know, that were just... Looked like a restraint. Yeah. And, 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 Your Honor, even if we say that well, Officer Gugliano was justified in restraining his legs, there's simply no justification for, him, for his picking him up off the ground, taking him to a patrol car, and slamming his head into the side of a patrol car. And then after that, Officer, while Mr. Cardi was in the back of a patrol car with his hands cuffed behind his back and was being compliant, Officer Gugliano choked Mr. Cardi while he told him, 
to quote unquote, I'm sorry for the foul language, your honors, but shut the fuck up, you piece of shit. These actions are clearly, clearly violations of the Fourth Amendment, clearly established law, and, well, wait, and the wait, force is excessive. Let's take the slamming head. This, uh, this is very much, seems very much like Wordish versus Kruger. Judge, and I, I'm not overly familiar with that case. I, I apologize, but I do think that it's very analogous. Well, that, that was someone who that, that was someone who was having a uh, glycemic reaction, and therefore wouldn't come out of the car, and then had to be taken to the ground. And then and they got him up and put him in the car, and pushed his head against the against the, the that was the excessive that was the excessive force charge was slamming his head against the. The, the car, which strikes me as um, if you're forcefully putting someone into a car, or if particularly if you want to frisk them before you do that, you're, you know, uh, the, head, the head slamming into a car, uh, into a frame of the car, is pretty likely to happen. Your, Your Honor, I, I, I agree that that could be a possibility. That's just not the facts that we have in this case before us. The, the witness testimony and the, the facts, which this incident was witnessed by Mr. Cartier's parents. One of them is a retired law enforcement officer, former U.S. Marshal. And they, the, the testimony in the case is that not only did, well, this wasn't like a, we were trying to get him into a car and we accidentally hit his head on the frame. This was uh, Guglielmo slamming his head into the car twice. No, it wasn't accidental in wordish either. Right. And, and so this was intentional this was intentional conduct, followed up by when Mr. Cardi was in the back of the patrol car, then choking him while, while, while again, t using this foul language and telling him to be quiet. Um, Your Honors, I think that this, because of the facts, I know in, in, in Kelsey and, and also in the Ellers case, um, both of those cases involved uh, situations where the force was used to subdue a suspect. And, and the force was utilized before handcuffs were applied and before the suspect was being compliant. That's not the situation that we have in this case. And that's why I think that it's distinguishable from those two opinions, but, it is, but the, and Tatum seems to be more on point. Um, that, in that case, that's where an officer pepper sprayed the su suspect and the two crashed into a display table. The suspect claimed that he did not fight or resist. There was a disagreement, Your Honors, and there's a disagreement in this case about how this incident went down. There is some video, but there's not a video of the entire incident. The video is, I think, three to four minutes long. Well, what um, about the district court said that he appeared to be resisting, right? Isn't that – and well, so therefore Beeman had – could use at least some force. What is your response <clears throat> to that? What, what facts or what – yeah, what, what facts in the record – do you think the district court was relying on to say that he appeared to be resisting? Well, Judge, and I think in the in the memorandum that came along with the order, it was a little confusing because the court seemed to be relying on a statement made in the video by Mr. Cartier about the purpose that they were going to the residence, which was Mr. Cartier's residence at Two Pico Court in Moscow Mills, and. I think the court took that and said, well, they, these two were hostile toward the police, and thus they were being aggressive. And, but the officers never heard that statement. The statement that Mr. Cartier made about going to his residence to video the police, that statement was never heard by any of the officers in this case. So 
in the analysis of whether their conduct was objectively reasonable, I don't think that that should even be considered. What about the, and I know your argument might be First Amendment, but on that exact question, you know, there was more than just recording happening here. There was also some expletives coming both from the police, but then also from your clients. And what role does that play in determining whether or not a reasonable officer would think they are resisting? Well, and I agree that after the assault starts that Mr. Cartier uses some foul language. Judge, I agree with that. Up and until that time, my clients were compliant with what the police told them to do. They were not threatening. They did not make threatening statements. They didn't curse at the officers. They simply informed them that this was Mr. Cartier's residence. They showed their license and asked to see identification. Because these officers were plain clothed, they were part of the drug task force that Lincoln County has in collaboration with other counties. And so that's all my clients were doing while videoing. The officers obviously didn't like that, but my clients were compliant. Now, as far as the foul language, there was no threatening statements ever made by either one of my clients. The officers who were on the scene agree with that. They said they were not making threatening statements. I ask in deposition, and this is part of the record in the case, Officer Beeman, did you feel like the statements that Mr. Cartier made constituted him resisting arrest? And he said no. I ask Officer Livingston, Officer Guglielmo, the other officers there, did the statements he made constitute resisting arrest? Their answer was no, we didn't feel that way. And so I think that the statements alone should not be used as justification, especially for this level of force, for choking and punching and hitting and slamming heads into cars. Let me follow up with one more point. And this kind of tracks us back to what I premised it on earlier, which is the recording issue. We have case law, a case called Chestnut v. Wallace, that suggests that mere recording is not something you can get arrested for, recording police behavior. We've since limited and said it's not necessarily First Amendment behavior recording. But I didn't see a bare recording claim here where you say somehow the police reacted to my recording and this caused this whole incident to happen. I was arrested. I was seized, et cetera. Am I right about that? That's right, Judge. That's not an issue in the case. And the stated reason for the arrest was they were interfering with a government operation, meaning the investigation that had been going on at Tupico Court. It turns out that that's not true when we get into the facts. And those charges that were brought against my clients based upon statements made by the officers that were not true and were later determined to be not true, those charges were ultimately dismissed. But the given reason that they were taken into custody was because the officers said that they were interfering with that investigation, which the facts show had already concluded. Interfering because of the video or interfering, and this gets back to Judge Kelly's question, interfering because they were resisting somehow. They were doing something more than recording. Interfering, as far as I understand, Judge, interfering by their presence at the location and in being in a driveway where Officer Beeman had given them permission to be. And, Judge, frankly, I think the facts and the video demonstrate that what really happened here was that Mr. Cartier had annoyed the officers to a sufficient level that they decided to place him under arrest. And that's what precipitated this whole event. But you're quite right. There has been no issue raised related to whether that they had the right to video or that was a precipitating factor in the case. And I see I'm running into my rebuttal time. If there's no other questions, then I'll let Mr. Dunn have the podium. Thank you, Judges. 
May it please the court, counsel, uh, your honors, my name is Peter Dunn, I'm an attorney with the Pitzer Snodgrass Law Firm here in St. Louis, and I represent the Lincoln County Sheriff's Department and the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office defendants of this case. Uh, this case begins, I think, and largely ends with the video uh, of the initial confrontation well, uh, what, between what the was plaintiffs the, and the police. What was the resisting that, that the district court relied on or that you're relying on that would have warranted any kind of use of force here? The, the resisting begins with the lack of cooperation of the plaintiffs and the lawful orders given to them to remain outside the area where this investigation was taking place. It, and, and that begins, frankly, with the statements and everything else that's in the video that, that's recorded before they arrive there. And, and before they arrive there, it's obvious that uh, the, the plaintiff, Cardia, is upset, he's angry, He's, he's demonstrative in the statements that he makes and, and his objection and, and lack of uh, agreement with what's going on at his parents' home. Uh, by way of background, the police are investigating the sale of marijuana brownies at Troy Buchanan High School by, by this, uh, Mr. Cardia's brother, Mr. Cardia, that resulted in felony charges against him to which he pleaded guilty. Having said all that, the police are there. Their investigation was largely complete when the, Mr. Cardia and Ms. Adams arrived. That, that when they show up, and this is all on video, uh, they're they're loud, they're it's obstructionary, not, they're objectionable. It, Sorry. Can, yeah, can I, I? When you say it's all on video, we don't see the plaintiffs, though, right? Because it's, I think. Adams no, no, they're filming. Yeah, they're right. filming okay. away. So I want to make sure I'm not missing another angle of the video. No, there's not a movie uh, of the right. event, and and we see that a lot. That it's true with body cam video and other videos that they're tantalizingly incomplete. But this one isn't incomplete with regard to the attitude, the demeanor, the behavior of the two plaintiffs, which is obstructionary, uh, uncooperative, uh, hostile. And, and obviously uh, intended to uh, court their arrest. Uh, they really manufactured this, uh, this uh, arrest and, frankly, this lawsuit uh, over their own uh, behavior. Um, one did, on did, they, did the officers testify that, that the two plaintiffs had actually crossed this sort of, I think there's like an imaginary line, right? Don't come past here, and we can't really see it in the video, but did they say, and they crossed the imaginary line? Indeed they did, and, and despite being told numerous times not to do that, and asked to step back, asked and, and told ahead of time uh, that, look, step back or you're going to be arrested. So, well, and so they step, were warned. Step back is different than crossing. Well, that's because line. they had crossed the line were told to step back to the other side of it. Um, and, and so this this insistence on interfering with the, uh, Mr. Larimar respectfully says it's over. It's not over. They're all still there. Uh, evidence gathering is still going on, and, and the police are still actively involved in this investigation when they show up. And they show up, honestly, I don't think you can look at the video and come to any other conclusion, but they show up for the purpose of interfering with the investigation. Uh, they're aggressive, uncooperative, abusive and then eventually uh, profane and obscene in the statements that are made uh, to the police. It's finally in, in, in response to all of this, this interference by Mr. Cardia, that he's informed that he's going to be placed under arrest and he is indeed placed in the handcuffs. However, his resistance doesn't end at that point. 
the hip toss as to that ends up taking to the ground takes place after he's pulling away from the arresting officer because they are proceeding to arrest Ms. Adams. He objects to that loudly, again, uses obscene, profane language towards the officer, tell them, get your hands off my girlfriend, and he's pulling away from the officer when he's... In response to that resistance, he goes to the ground. So if you analyze all of that in the context of Kelsey, uh, the first use is far less. And, and if, and if the, uh, the, the, the takedown of a, a person walking away wearing swimming trunks who's clearly unarmed, and all they're doing is disobeying an officer and walking away, uh, taken down to the ground uh, and injured to the point where they're, uh, they have a broken uh, bone, I think, a broken collarbone, uh, it, it clearly, the bar is kind of high uh, in the kind of force that is going to be deemed excessive under the circumstances of somebody who's resisting arrest uh, or disobeying lawful uh, police orders. Um, the, this was a wide-ranging uh, complaint. There were 20 counts against eight different defendants. Uh, it, it, it's just sort of a kitchen sink kind of approach to the whole thing. But the district court, or excuse me, the magistrate court, in, a, in its order, parsed out all the different claims and all the evidence in support thereof against all the different defendants and found either that no objective evidence of a Fourth Amendment violation for excessive force took place or whatever force was used, uh, it was not clearly established at the time that it was unconstitutional. And, and so the court carefully went through all the claims and, and then addressed the state law claims that official immunity applied to, addressed the uh, alternative liability claims against Lincoln County and the Lincoln County Sheriff. About, there was no evidence of... Uh, what about the after the hip toss? I just I didn't hear you directly or, or yeah, directly address this, which is uh, the knee on the neck where he couldn't breathe. And we have to, I mean, I think that by then the video was pretty useless, as I recall. I don't believe it's even recording anymore. Yeah, so point. in which case we have to take the plaintiff-friendly facts and um, what's the what's the justification for that when he when he's not doesn't appear to be resisting anymore or is he? Well, th- that's a good question because that 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 is um, uh, from the perspective of the of the police he was still resisting and it was necessary to restrain him and hold him down and and this goes into frankly evidence of this. Uh, of what happened later is relevant because uh, he, he insists that oh, he was calm, he was uh, not resisting anymore. But when they get to the sheriff's uh, the depth or the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, he's restrained for a big, brief period of time. That was another part of the claim. That's his Fourteenth or Eighth Amendment claim uh, for cruel and unusual punishment. And and I'll only say that this is not the conduct of someone who is now quietly cooperating, uh, a, an attitude which is completely belied by the person who's recorded earlier, in, uh, in, uh, just a few moments earlier, when he arrives on the scene. So but I, he, I but, would say, but he was handcuffed at the time. Correct. I mean, and so it just seems a little gratuitous to then, and frankly, it bears a little resemblance to the acts taken by the officers in the, in the, in the George Floyd case. And so I'm just trying to figure out what justification there was for that particular act of, of placing your knee on the neck. Restraining somebody who has already demonstrated that they will not cooperate after being placed into handcuffs, which is what the officers found this particular uh, plaintiff did 
at that scene. You know, yes, that uh, uh, the duration of time in, in the Floyd case, and I'm going only by what I see in the news, uh, which was apparently excessive, obviously excessive enough that he's no longer with us. Right. Uh, Mr. Cartier certainly can't make that claim. But whatever it was, it was brief in duration and had a legitimate law enforcement purpose which is the issue, I guess, with regard to the analysis of whether force that's used is appropriate or not. Uh, Pennycook is, is cited in the briefs, and you know the court pivoted away from a quantum of injury approach to analysis of Fourth Amendment claims to a what was the purpose, what was the law enforcement purpose behind the application of force. And in this instance, everything we're talking about had a legitimate law enforcement purpose. In terms punching of and slapping? That was the other thing we've got. That, that is alleged against Beeman. What was the purpose of punching the, and slapping? The slap to the face. Yeah. Uh, I'll only say that uh, that was that's disputed evidence. But having said that, if we assume for true, uh, for a moment that it's true, as I as I uh, and I thought about this actually because I, I wondered whether this would come up, and and the conclusion I came to is that um, you know set, taken alone, um, one might think that that seems. Uh, gratuitous and, and unnecessary. But as I look through the cases that discuss uh, application of force, I, I, I don't find one that clearly says an officer uh, is committing a Fourth Amendment violation uh, when something like that happens. And, and in the context, and, and, and this came up in the argument in the uh, magistrate court below, that in the, in the totality of the circumstances here and in the context of the amount of resistance, the amount of objection, uh, the, the poor language, the uh, obvious intention to interfere with what's going on, I, I'm not saying and, and would never say that such a thing is, is objective but, or is not objectionable. But I would also say that there isn't anything uh, that I'm aware of that provides clear evidence to an officer that such behavior constitutes a Fourth Amendment violation. And I'm not saying that the court ought to endorse uh, such behavior, but I am saying that if it's not clearly established that such behavior can't be engaged in, well, then no reasonable officer would know that they're committing a violation at the time and that that qualified immunity applies to that too, in my opinion. What about Guglielmo? I've got to ask about this because this is the other thing that bothered me was the purposeful, it appears purposeful. I don't know that he could necessarily say it was purposeful, but we had the slamming of the head uh, into, the, into the police car and then choking him while he's in the back of the police car. That doesn't look good either. Again, assuming it's true. It, it, again, the optics of it are bad, and, and uh, for uh, purposes of summary judgment, um, uh, the, the evidence on that point was disputed. Uh, no one, no one conceded or admitted that anything remotely close to that happened, and we went again, frankly, in the argument uh, in the magistrate court, went back to the fact that we were talking about uh, someone who had uh, uh, kind of created this confrontation themselves. That uh, they they created this lawsuit themselves uh, from the first instance. Uh, they could have said, "Fine, right, I'll wait here, and and I'll wait to talk to someone calmly." Uh, but they didn't do that at any point. And, and I'm not saying it did happen. I'm just saying I don't think it's, it's appropriate to create a cause of action and uh, uh, for what, what amounts to what, what can't be anything other than uh, a brief uh, uh, period of time uh, does something that standing alone 
uh, cannot be regarded, I think, as something that it's not clearly established that it can't be done. And, and again, I don't think that the court is endorsing such behavior by saying that if it's not clearly established it can't be done, it doesn't constitute a violation. Your Honor, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Unless there's any other questions, I'll sit down. Thank you. Your Honors, thank you. Um, the, we've cited a number of cases that clearly establish that officers who punch, kick, choke, engage in that type of conduct, while the evidence, and, and I agree with Pete, the evidence is disputed, which is exactly why that this case should not have been decided on summary judgment. Instead, should have been placed in front of a jury for a decision. But there's a number of cases that say where that kind of conduct is undertaken by officers, that that is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. We listed many of those uh, in our brief in the case. And I think chief, um, I think, uh, chief among them is, the, is the, like I said, the Tatum case. This is clearly distinguishable from, uh, from Kelsey and Ellers because you just have use, a use of force that is completely unwarranted and unnecessary. There is no excuse for having someone in the back of a patrol car and having them handcuffed and compliant, and that's what the evidence suggests. It's disputed, but that's what the, the, the facts that we've elicited and the testimony suggests, and choking them and telling them to shut the fuck up. Well, it, Broussard was pretty close as, um, to the, as to the son, the aspect that after they were, he was in the car. I, I'm sorry. Tasing. Is Broussard or Brassard? Right. And, and Judge, I think the distinguish the thing that distinguishes this is the evidence suggests that Mr. Cartier was being compliant with the officers at that time. There was no tussling around. There was no. There was nothing about his behavior that would have warranted additional uses of force. Well, then, the son only refused to move over in the back seat of the car, and he got tased because he'd been it had been quite a, a fairly violent encounter before that. And and we don't we don't even have we don't even have that in this case, Judge, not even that little fact. And, and here, is the, here is, I think, something that's key in the evidence, because when we, when we deposed Officers Gugliano and Officers Beeman, they were deposed twice, once in the criminal case that was ultimately dismissed, then once in the, the case that's before the court today. Um, they were deposed the first time before they knew a video existed. And then after, they, after this video was discovered and they were deposed a second time, well, the story changed. Um, but both of them indicated in their deposition. When I asked them about punching and slapping, when I asked Officer Beeman, why did you punch or slap Mr. Cardi? He said, well, I didn't do it. Well, would there have been any justification for doing that? None whatsoever. It wasn't necessary. Right? When I asked Officer Gugliano, was it ever necessary to choke Mr. Cardi? He said, no, it wasn't. Was there any justification for you slamming his head into the side of a car? No, there was none. And so that's from the officer's own, own mouths. Um, that's the evidence in the case. That's the evidence that, frankly, was just flatly ignored by the, dis by the, by the magistrate uh, court in this case. Rather than focusing on what happened, again, after my client was in handcuffs and what the evidence suggests was he was being compliant, um, rather than focusing on that, the court instead, and I went back and looked at the order while Mr. Um, Dunn was making his argument, rather than focusing on that, instead the court focused on a statement that was made before they ever arrived at the scene, which no officers heard, which was not considered by the officers, and which simply, simply said, and maybe language I wouldn't use, but simply said, there are officers at my house. I'm concerned with that. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to video what they're doing. 
I mean, I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. But based upon the evidence in the case, this case certainly should have been submitted to a jury and summary judgment wasn't warranted on these facts. And that's what I'd ask the court to send this case back so that we can have a jury decide this. Thank you very much, Your Honors. Thank you, Counsel. The case has been well briefed and argued and we'll take it under advisement. Thank you.